Hi, I'm Elise Dayeb, Director of the Fellows Program at New America. This year, we're thrilled to support 15 new Class of 2022 National Fellows as they develop their ambitious projects. Today, I'm joined by Ellen D. Wu, a Class of 2022 National Fellow. Ellen is an Associate Professor of History at Indiana University Bloomington and author of The Color of Success. Her work has been featured in a variety of academic and public-facing platforms, including The Washington Post and NPR's Code Switch. She is currently writing Overrepresented, The Surprising History of Asian Americans and Racial Justice, a new story about diversity, data, and democracy in the United States. So Ellen, congratulations again on your acceptance this year. To start, can you just tell us a little bit more about your project that you'll be working on this year as a fellow? Sure. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be a fellow for this coming year. I will be spending my time writing a book about the history of Asian Americans and racial justice. And I become very interested in this topic uh, originally because I always I've always observed Asian Americans to be the oddballs in terms of race in American society. It's never really clear where Asian Americans have fit in. And so I first started thinking about this when I noticed decades ago that oftentimes diversity efforts refer to quote unquote underrepresented minorities. And it seemed to me that that was often a kind of shorthand to mean that this was, you know, people of color except for Asian Americans. So I had become very curious about how that concept came to exist. And I tried to start from there and peel back the layers. And uh, this project has evolved over time first from thinking about specifically the position of Asian Americans in the affirmative action debate, but it's evolved over time and I've broadened it to think about Asian Americans and racial justice more as a whole. And I think that's really because of what's, you know, what's been roiling, you know, the United States basically since Ferguson, especially. So this project is really near and dear to my heart. It's a way for me as a historian to make sense of how race and democracy have operated in the last part of the 20th century and the early 21st. But I think for me very personally, uh, racial justice is an issue that I care very much about. And I am very concerned about the role that my community, which is the Asian American community, what role we have to play in achieving racial justice in our society. Great. That's helpful framing. Um, And I have a few questions to dive into the project a bit more. But before I do, I'm just curious about your own personal and professional background. You know, I was reading your application and I noticed that you have a BS in biology as well as a BA in history and now also hold a PhD in history. And so I'm curious about what you were planning to do with the biology degree, um, but also how you got to where you are now in terms of um, the work you do as a historian and the contributions you're making to the world. Sure, thanks. Uh, you're very perceptive. I am indeed, uh, I would say, a failed pre-med major as an undergraduate student. And I think like many children of immigrants, uh, other Asian Americans, especially of my generation, you know, I went to college in the 1990s. The pre-med track was a really obvious uh, career choice to begin, you know, begin college thinking that I, I would follow. Uh, simply because there were people I knew that were doctors and it just made, it was just like a very clear trajectory. Uh, But I also 
double majored in college uh, in history at the time because I'd always been interested in history and I really loved it. And so once I started taking history courses and then I became involved in Asian American organizations and what we might think of as multicultural efforts or diversity efforts um, in my extracurricular time uh, in college, that really opened my eyes to Asian American history, which is really a history that I was never, I didn't really learn, uh, you know, in public school and high school. And uh, I think in some ways, maybe, I don't know if it was foolishly or just not fully understanding what it was going to entail to go into academia, I decided that I, I was going to try my hand at ethnic studies, Asian American studies, with the goal of becoming a historian to research and write and teach stories uh, about my community. And so I, that's how I ended up uh, becoming this you know, failed pre-med major and going into the humanities and one thing leading to another. And I'm very thankful that I had uh, good teachers and mentors along the way, ending up uh, getting a PhD in history under the direction of May Nye, my professor, who's an amazing mentor and a, a leading scholar of immigration history. And that's how I ended up in what I'm doing today. Yeah, no, it's a really interesting kind of professional arc, right, from studying biology to where you are now. And you mentioned earlier that your project is seeking to chronicle the history of Asian Americans and the racial justice movement today, um, and more so historically as well. But why do you think this book is important to write now? I think that this book is really urgent to write now because of what has really rocked, I think, the United States since 2020, you know, a lot of people talked about the, these dual pandemics of both COVID-19 and racism. And of course, as we all know, last summer in the aftermath of the George Floyd murders, there was really this massive awakening or reckoning in, uh, in the United States in terms of race and, and racial justice. Of course, that, that awakening hasn't, you know, necess- I would say not been in one direction of what we might call progress, but we've also seen a massive organizing and and retaliation by the far right, you know, by people who are very invested in in defending, essentially defending white supremacy. And then then what happened since 2020 in 2021, I don't think any one of us really could have anticipated or of course wanted to happen, but in the aftermath of the brutal murders in Atlanta this March, with eight people dead and then six of those people being Asian women, um, all of a sudden there was this very unprecedented attention to Asian Americans and the challenges that Asian Americans have faced and Asian American history. So I think on the one hand, I have been working on this book project for seven or eight years at this point, but it's it's really to go back to your question, Awista, I really feel like it's 2020, 2021 that has made it so clear to me anyway that that this is a, a history that I feel really needs to be written for un, for us to understand how we got here and where we might where we might go from this point. That's helpful. You know, building off of that, you know, in your application, you wrote that often Asian Americans, they've emerged as the wild card of U.S. race relations, and and they prove that race is neither predictable nor fixed. And so I'm curious if you can explain what you mean by that phrase and why you think that is the case. 
Yeah, I, I do think of Asian Americans as a wild card of race relations in U.S. society. I think partly that comes from my observation that oftentimes when we being, you know, Americans in general, when we when we think about, talk about race, we rely on these common common knowledge or racial common sense, you know, white people, black people. And a lot of what we how we think about race, and, and there's a good reason, right? That it's very, it still remains very black and white. And so then, but we think about the reality of our society today, it's extremely diverse. And the white black framework isn't so useful for understanding uh, the position and the power and the possibilities of, of the range of groups we have in U- U.S. society, which is still, of course, um, operates very much with race in, in, in terms of our policymaking and our, you know, interpersonal interactions and so forth. So I think sometimes if you, if you, if, if we take a, what seems to be a familiar topic, but we take a very unusual vantage point, or a sort of an oddball entry point, such as Asian Americans and um, you know U.S. Rela- race relations, I do think that offers an opportunity to come up with some really fresh, innovative, original insights. And that is that is my aspiration with this project. You know, in, in writing and working on the book, um, you came upon the story of Mike Masaoka, and you say that he's the first major Asian American political influence. So can you tell us more about who he is and why you chose him to really be the starting point for your book? Oh, absolutely. So Mike Masaoka uh, is well known within the Japanese American community as the the leader of the Japanese American Citizens League, which was a civil rights organization that started in the 1920s and 30s and became the the group that advocated for close collaboration or cooperation with the United States government during World War II. Now, this was a very, very controversial standpoint to take because it was the U.S. government itself that had ordered and, you know, carried out this mass incarceration, imprisonment of Japanese Americans during the war. And so, so much of this memory of Mike Masaoka and the Japanese American Citizens League has focused on, uh, you know, basically this idea that they sold out the, the community by advocating for government collaboration. But I am really interested in turning this narrative on its head because what I found in my research is that this government collaboration that began really during World War II and and ballooned after World War II created kind of training ground for Mike Masaoka and his colleagues to begin understanding the machinery of of democratic politics, right? How governance works, how it's really important to network with influential leaders, and so this is why I, I refer to Mike Masaoka as the first Asian American political influencer. Uh, he became a professional lobbyist, one of the very first in the United States in the late 1940s. And he was super connected to the, what we might think of the liberal bloc, that center left establishment of organizations from NAACP and um, you know labor and so forth. 
And he and his wife, actually, she gets, a, you know, she's a lot less uh, well-known, but she played a big role too. Her name was Etsu Masaoka. The Matsuokas played a huge role in serving as spokes, essentially spokespeople for Japanese American and then eventually Asian American concerns. They were always the ones who made sure to insert what they called Orientals at the time into uh, minority rights policy making. So that was federal uh, fair employment practices, housing desegregation, school desegregation, voting rights, and so forth. The, the, I, th- I really do think that a big part of the reason Congress and other policymakers paid any attention to Asian Americans was because of the work of Mike and Etsu Masaoka and the Japanese American Citizens League. I mean, it's interesting that you have such a character, you know, to draw on. Um, and when you think about framework and structure, at least in this current iteration of what you propose for your book, there is a chronological review of this history of Asian Americans and their contributions to the racial justice movement. And so as you think about structure, why did you decide that it would work best to tell the story in chronological order? And what other formats were you thinking of as well? Great question, Awista. I, I think I'm such a, an old school historian in the sense that I, I think I'm just programmed to think chronologically. It's actually very hard for me to tell stories um, that aren't chronological because I'm so interested in change over time. And so, I mean, the way I would say my process has not been chronological is that I thought my story would begin in the 1960s and 70s, you know, with the big social movements of the 1960s and the Vietnam War. But as I thought more about it and researched more, I began to move backwards. And then I realized I had to begin my story with World War II. Because I am a historian, I think chronologically, and I and I think about change over time, I feel like the way that I can build my narrative and build my argument, I really have to explain how decisions that people made at one point had consequences, whether they were intentional or unintentional. And then those led to new circumstances, new decisions, uh, new consequences. And that's why I've, I've structured the story in a chronological way. That makes sense. And I think, you know, someone who's been in touch with many authors over the years, sometimes, you know, why, if it's not broken, don't fix it, right? <laughs> so I totally get that. In terms of taking your book to present day conversations, you know, the title currently is overrepresented. And it, it's a nod to the decades long held belief that Asian Americans don't count as ethnic minorities in this country. And so I'm curious about how you see this belief manifesting and attitudes towards Asian Americans today, especially as you said, in light of growing anti-Asian sentiments, particularly as it resulted after the pandemic. But yeah, I'd be curious to hear how, how these conversations kind of reflect today. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I, I think for now, I'm still sticking with this title of overrepresented because it, it does really reflect how Asian Americans have been long regarded as, as not quite like other racial minorities. Um, but it's 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 a bit hard to hold in in my head in a way. At the same time, when we've seen this uh, spike in anti-Asian hostility and violence, right, and and those things that are really at the forefront of what people are 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 thinking about, and talking about, and doing right now in terms of Asian American communities. Uh, but but I think that's what makes this project so interesting to me that 
Asian Americans have such a really a contradictory relationship to racial justice, because on the one hand, we have a a very small but very vocal and influential contingent of uh, mostly Chinese, recent, more recent Chinese immigrants who have been working for, for a few years now to torpedo essentially affirmative actions in elite college admissions. Uh, on the other hand, you, there are many progressive Asian Americans who are working very hard with other communities of color to advance, you know, what they consider racial justice, uh, including like flipping Georgia blue, right, in the most recent election. And so I think that what overrepresented can help us, I think re- I really want to draw attention to also is one of the themes in the book is how racial justice policy since the 1960s and 70s especially has been so tied to ideas of proportionality and representation, right? Counting heads or counting numbers of bodies in a certain organization, whether that's a university or a workplace, um, that and then that's how we measure whether or not we've achieved uh, you know, fairness and, and diversity, right, or equality. And how numbers and data on the one hand are, are very helpful as metrics and tools to get us to towards racial justice, but also how they might spawn new complications and problems. And I've seen that right in our particular moment on the one hand around the issue of hate crimes. You know, there's been a lot of energy among Asian Americans, including Asian American members of Congress, in calling for hate crimes legislation as a way to deal with this anti-Asian hostility in our current moments. Uh, But what we are now also seeing among, again, very progressive Asian Americans are these warnings that wanting better data and, and hate crimes legislation uh, will may likely result in over-policing essentially, you know, and incarceral solutions to these problems of hostility and violence. And that's something that many Asian Americans who are more progressive are certainly very concerned about. So again, so kind of to loop back to the original question, you know, this idea of representation and numbers and data and empirical evidence, essentially of Asian Americans facing, you know, confronting, dealing with racism. Um, I've, I think it's a really, uh, it really piques my interest in terms of how race and solutions to racism have operated uh, in, in recent times. So when you think about the reader for your book, who do you hope will read it? And then second to that, what is the takeaway that you would like them to gain from reading this book? Yeah, that's such a fundamental question, the readership of the book. I imagine different audiences for my book. Uh, First and foremost, I think about all of the Asian Americans that are really hungry for this, this history. And just, I just know from talking to lots of different people in the last few months and, you know, the, all the excitement actually last year when PBS released its uh, documentary about Asian Americans, I know that in our communities, there really is a deep yearning to know more about our past and our present in this country. So that's one of my audiences. Another audience I have are fellow historians in particular. I really do hope that this is a transformative contribution to what you know, modern US history and how we understand the history of race and immigration and democracy. But then we also have a wish, a, you know, a real 
evil wish, that this will be a public facing uh, book and that people with uh, interest and also people engaged in, in policy making and media making. So, um, you know, anyone from legislators to organizers to journalists, um, perhaps people who work in diversity, equity and inclusion and, and members of the educated curious public that really are sincerely interested in in working towards racial justice, I do hope that this book has something to offer them too. So final question, as you embark on your fellowship this year, I'm curious to know where you hope to be with your project a year from now. I know you can't predict a writing process, but I'd love to just kind of hear what your goals are for the year. Yes, <laughs> I have many goals for the year and we'll see how those pan out because I'll have to balance them with uh, teaching and so forth. But one goal I have, I'm very excited about, I have um, enlisted the help of informatics students at my university, and we're going to do a big data scrape of the hashtag Stop Asian Hate that has trended in the past few months. So I'm very excited about seeing where that might lead. But certainly on the writing front, I am, you know, knee deep in the writing right now, trying to finish up the first chunk of the book on Mike Masaoka and that early part of the history. And I'm hoping that um, I can propel forward and and keep going again chronologically, polish up that that middle chunk that I had already started working on. And then with the luck of the muses, I'm I'm hoping that I will be able to also turn to um, doing more reporting, interviewing of people, you know, the people that I'm very interested in talking to that have been currently involved in these various dimensions of mobilizing and organizing Asian American communities across the ideological spectrum. So I am very hopeful and interested in conducting interviews and and talking to folks so that I can tell a really, I think a really honest story about what's happening within Asian American communities at this particular moment. Well, we're thrilled to support you this year and to see your project take shape. Thank you for your time today, Ellen. Thank you so much. This was fun. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please visit newamerica.org fellows to access my other interviews with the class of 2022.